Let me explain for those who, who didn't, who haven't seen us do this before. I'm going to explain a little bit about some of the symbols. Some of the, these are picture words. These are sort of stories and pictures. And what they mean, and we'll do, oh, two or three. And then uh, as the congregation uh, sings uh, something, that will give us a little bit of time to hang those decorations on the tree. I have three of each. And so what I'll do is start someplace, and each one, and we'll just go on down, each one takes one, okay, and I'll hand it to you. As far as we have, you know, it, it'll be six or nine or whatever we have. And then you'll go on up and hang it somewhere on the tree, okay? If you're a little bit taller, go ahead and hang it a little bit higher, because I know some of you are are going to be busy on the lower uh, branches, filling up the lower branches. And then eventually we'll get around and we'll get some of our other people like, like Mark <laughs> or me <laughs> or those of us that have a little bit of tall to get up there and we'll get some on the higher tonight or something. Some other time we'll do that. But so we'll go as far as we have, and then I'll do the next couple, and we'll just keep going on around. So everybody will, everybody will get to be hanging something on the tree and uh, for what we've got. So today I want to talk about promissory notes. Promissory notes. I like to call them promissory notes. Promissory notes. They're little mem memos from God guaranteeing what he's going to do. Have anyone ever give, has anyone made a promise to you? They promised they're going to do something, and did they do it? Yes, sometimes. God always keeps his promises. But God gives us little, little indications, little sort of IOUs of what he wants to do for us. I call them, also call them God's IOUs of grace. They're things that God did or said during his long history with his people, Israel, and all pointing them forward toward the day of Christ. And that that's when God himself would take on human flesh, he'd become a human like you and me, a person, in order to bring salvation once and for all for each one of us. So each symbol that we're going to be looking at represents an entire story or an event or a word. Each one is a promise. And today we're going to be looking at symbols and promises from God all in the Old Testament and that point forward to Christ. So our first step, trouble in paradise. Trouble in paradise. Now the first Christmas trees... We've got, you see our Christmas tree back there, which has lights, but no, nothing else on it. They were used in street theater. They were called paradise trees. And at that day, back in the Middle Ages, not many people could read. And so actors traveled around Europe acting out various Bible stories to help teach people the lessons. And the plays, they always had in the middle of a stage an evergreen tree like that. 
and the plays all kind of happened around the tree. And that was, it had a lot of different meanings. First, it was the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. You, have you heard about the Garden of Eden? All of you know, have heard about the, most of you have heard about the Garden of Eden, where God first put Adam and Eve in a garden, and there was a tree of life. And, but they also had th fruit hung on it, usually apples, maybe pears, to rem remind us of that other tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they weren't supposed to touch or eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there they would act out around that tree the whole drama of human sin and God's forgiveness. Because what happens if someone tells you not to do something? You want to do, do it. Have you ever done something you, that you were told not to do? I remember a time when as a child, I had gotten, mom had gotten me all cleaned up and ready for, to go to a big church supper. My dad was the preacher. And, uh, and she said, now, now while I get the others ready and while I get ready, you can play, but don't you get dirty. Do you think I got dirty? I was absolutely filthy from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. So that's what happened in paradise. That's what happened in Eden. <clears throat> now they were, they had a little help that there was a snake who tricked them to do the one thing they weren't supposed to do, and that was eat a certain fruit, and they weren't supposed to eat it. Do you know why? It was poisonous. It was poisonous and it could kill them. Okay? And, but they ate it. And they got kicked out of paradise. But, you know, the poison's now in all of us. And that's why we all will eventually die. And it makes us all prone to do things that makes God unhappy. Things that are bad for us. But God also promised that one day there was going to be a descendant of David, of, of, excuse me, of Adam who was going to come, who would, and while the serpent, the snake, might bruise his heel, he says, it's going to bruise his heel, but he is going to crush the head of that snake. You see, the devil would try to kill Jesus, but Jesus could not be killed permanently, and he crushed the head of the devil under his feet. Yes, indeed. Clap, clap. So the apple, that's our first one, the apple reminds us of our disobedience. It's a fruit, and what's, what do you see on that fruit? There's a bite out of it. So we have a piece of fruit with a bite out of it to remind us of human sin. That's when we do things that God tells us not to do, when, when we know better, but we do it anyway. But God also has standards. You see, when God tells us don't do something, it's because he's got standards. He's got things, he, something he expects us to live up to. 
And, but we don't know anymore. Folks don't know anymore, instinctively at least, what God expects us to do. So, and we don't know how to do God's will. So God gave the people of Israel some guidelines of what to do and what not to do. And we call those, they were on two tablets of stone, and we call those the Ten Commandments. See, so the apple represents our sin. The Ten Commandments, it, well, turn it around here for you. The ten, that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. In Roman numerals I have on there. The Ten Commandments remind us God has standards. And it reminds us how God gave us the law. Now the law, the Ten Commandments, can't fix our sin problem. Can't fix it. But it's kind of God's temporary solution so we at least kind of sort of get along together. And, uh, and it reveals our sin for what, what it is. It's one step toward God's solution, an important step towards God's solution. So, <coughs> as we sing, I'm going to start around on this side, and we'll go around, and each one will take one as far as we get around the circle, and then the next one will continue, okay? So, Our next step is about judgment and promise. Judgment and promise. Or maybe we could say punishment and promise. You know, because you see, soon our, our sin problem, our problem with that eating that apple started to infect the whole earth and heaven. And God had to nip that in the bud and make a clean sweep of it. But you know, the problem, thing is, 
He loved these humans that he had made. and He didn't want to just wipe us out, even though we might deserve it. So do you know what he did? He hunted and he hunted till he found somebody who was, relatively speaking, righteous, who was okay. And he told him to build a floating barn bigger than a football field for all the animals and a few people. And God filled it with animals, and then you know what happened? What happened then? A flood. A flood. It started to rain, and the water came up. And so for 40 days and 40 nights, it floated out there till everything was covered with water. And then we're told God remembered Noah. Of course, he never forgot him in the first place, but that's a way of, they have of talking. Of God remembered Noah, made the water subside, and God made a promise to Noah that he was never going to destroy the world again that way. And as a sign of promise, do you know what God did? What's the promise? What's the sign? He made a rainbow in the sky, so whenever you see that rainbow you'll know God remembers his promise. He hasn't forgotten his promise. No matter what you go through and how hard your life can be, if you look somewhere, there's going to be a rainbow in it because God never forgets his promise to you. And so the ark and the rainbow, which is, is this one, this reminds us how much how much God hates human sin, but how much he also loves you and me. Can you see the, you see the ark down here? And then you see the rainbow above it, and, and here's, a little, here's a bird that's a little dove flying over it. That's our, that's our ark. And all, again and again, God keeps working in people's lives. He'll work in your life. He works in my life. He does things. I don't always see it. I don't even necessarily know he's the one doing it, but things happen. And when the Bible talks about it, the Bible talks about the hand of God, that God does things by his mighty, by his mighty outstretched arm. Now, does God really have a literal hand like you and I do? Or an arm? No, not in the same way. That's the way we have of talking about it. This is about the power of God. God doesn't even have to do things like you. and All he, all he has to do is what? He just has to say the word. Let there be light. Boom. And what happens? There's light, right? He just says it, and it happens. So, but we think in pictures. You know, so God, we talk about God having hands as if God has hands. So, Imagine God reaching out to help you in your time of need as a hand reaching down from heaven. Okay? So how can you show that that's God's hand? You have an idea? Well, what they would do, they'd make a circle around it because a circle represents eternity. And whose hand is eternal? Whose hand, who's, who has the only hand that lasts forever? God's hand is eternal. So it'll have a circle around it. And the thing is, this is a real interesting thing. 
God loves us all the time. So this is the way they always pictured God's hand. Now, can you see the hand? What's it doing? Can you do your hand like that? I'll turn it up so you can see it. I'll turn it this way like mine. Two fingers up, one to the side, and two folded over. That's one way to do it. Have you noticed when I do a benediction at the end of the service, have you ever watched me do it? Most of you may be out in children's church then. But I'll do this emblem, and that's how I do the benediction. The reason being, this is a symbol of blessing. And so when God reaches down to answer your prayer, he's always reaching with a hand of blessing. He's going to bless you. So that's a symbol. We want to get that idea across. So God's hand always comes like a hand of blessing reaching down from heaven, the hand of God in eternity. And so God may hate our sin, but God loves you. And when he hears your prayer, he's going to reach down and help with a hand of blessing. So as, as the, everybody else sings, we're going to put on the tree the ark and the rainbow and the hand of God. Put that on the tree. Yeah, you want to put this one on the tree? This one on the tree. Okay, we're back around here. Come on. Uh, oh, wait a minute, I gotta get him untangled. Here we go. The and then I'll uh, let her do it, and then I'll we'll start you on the next Lord told Noah There's gonna, gonna be a flooding, flooding death of the children out of the muddy, muddy children of the Lord. The Lord told careful or they'll want you to sing that every week. <laughs> this next section is called In Your Place. In Your Place. God at last put his master plan. He'd promised somebody was going to come who would crush the head of the serpent, crush the head of the snake, take away our sin. He always comes with a hand to bless him. And so God puts his master plan into action, and he picks one man from the, what's now from what now is the modern country of Iraq and, and offers him a deal. You be my man, and I'll be your God. I'll give you a son. I'll make you an ancestor of countless people, a whole nation. And Abraham then spent his life wandering around the Middle East with God. And God, well, God waited and waited and waited. You know how long Abraham had to wait for that son that was promised to him? More than 25 years. 
God waited until Abraham was so old it was, and his wife that it was obvious that if he had a son, it had to be God who was going to do it because it wasn't going to happen by itself. So, and you know what, ha- what, ha- what they did when that baby was finally born? You know what they named him? Do you know what Isaac means? It means something. Laughter. They named him Laughter because it was just, it was such a surprise, it was funny. It was funny. Now, the rest of the story, though, is no laughing matter because, you know, see, God told Abraham, take your firstborn son, the one I promised you and gave you, and take him and sacrifice him on a mountain. Now, Abraham was heartbroken, but he knew the first of everything belonged to God. And so he took Isaac, his son, laughter, and took him up on a mountain, and he, he... He knew, though, that God always keeps his promises. So if God had promised him that he was going to have descendants like the sands of the sea, so many, that God was going to make it happen, even if he had to give him another son. But this was God's boy. So if this is what God wants, he was heartbroken, but he would trust God and commit his son to the Lord. And then as Abraham raised that knife to kill his son, laughter, you know what happened? God said, you know what happened? God said, let Isaac go. And Abraham looks around and he sees caught in the brambles a ram a ram rams have the horns so there's a ram I don't know if you can see it but uh, the ram of Abraham and Isaac took the ram and gave it to God in place of Isaac okay so the ram took the place of Isaac before God And God put the same principle into action when the children of Abraham ended up in slavery in Egypt. And they cried out to God because they were suffering so in slavery. So God sent Moses and told them, sacrifice a lamb, smear the blood on the doorposts. I know it's not a new decorating idea. I don't recommend you do it on a regular basis. Okay. But for tonight, put it there, and then God sent the angel of death to punish the Egyptians, and whenever he came to a house of, of, of the Hebrews, that's the children of Abraham, he saw the blood on the doorpost. And you know what he did? He didn't, he didn't kill anyone there. He went and got the king's son instead. See, so, so as he went through, whenever he saw the blood... He passed over, and that's why it's called the Passover now, the Passover. And so Pharaoh lost his firstborn son. He was grief-stricken, brokenhearted, and he said, get rid of these Hebrews and send them all away. 
You see, the blood of the firstborn, the, the blood of the Passover lamb, had bought their freedom from slavery. So the ram of Abraham and the sacrificial lamb, you see the difference between the ram and the lamb? Besides the size of the way I cut them. Then in this case, the, ram, the lamb's a little taller. Actually, the ram has the big horns. Yeah, yeah. I know lots of people that are like rams, even if they don't have horns, because they're budding all the time. But okay, we've got the ram of Abraham and the, the Passover lamb. Remind us how God keeps his promises. How one life can be given for another. How one life can buy freedom and life for somebody else. And these are God's promissory notes, God's promises, that one day God's going to send his own firstborn son, Jesus, who's going to die in our place, who's going to take our place so we can be forgiven and get freed from, from slavery, you know, to that sin problem we have, that fruit. And because Jesus died for us, we can live now and forever. So as we, as we, as the congregation sings, we're going to hang on the tree, the ram of Abraham and the Passover lamb. I think, I think you were next. Your only son, no sin to hide, but yeah. you have sent him from your side to walk upon the last this guilty side. No, we'll, we'll, we'll and to become the lamb of God. Your gift of Our next episode is the snake and the staff. The snake and the staff. Now, I don't know if you've ever read the book of Numbers or heard stories from the book of Numbers. Most people kind of, eh, Numbers, they skip it. It's such a cool book. It's got such neat stories in it. But they're little weird stories sometimes. And they tell us stories about the Hebrews while they were wandering around in the desert for those 40 years. 
And you wouldn't expect this book to point us toward much of anything. But it points us forward over a thousand years to Jesus, who he is, and what he's going to do for us. They're God's promises. But the stories are so peculiar, they, I'll tell you, they have to have a deeper meaning. And so I like to call this painting by numbers. As we hear, find out about God's promises to us from the book of Numbers. There was one time the people had been really selfish, really wicked, really bad. So God, this time, he said, okay. And they discovered they had camped right on, the, on, a, on a site that was completely infested with poisonous snakes. Do y'all like snakes? Who likes snakes? You like, yeah, Caleb likes snakes. I like snakes. You like, I grew up with, I, I grew up playing with snakes. Um, I, but I couldn't tell my mother about it. So here they suddenly were, there were poisonous snakes everywhere and they were getting bitten by the poisonous snakes and then they would die because they have some really poisonous snakes in the desert, really bad. So Moses prayed and asked God to forgive them and heal them. So God says, okay, okay, Moses, I'll tell you what you do. You take a pole and you make a snake out of, well, basically copper. You know, like just take a metal. It's a bronze, which is like copper and a little bit of brass. And you mix all that together and you make a snake out of it and you wrap it around the pole nice tall pole and put it up where everybody can see it and if they get bit by the snake and turn and look to me if they look to, to God's provision to that snake on a pole they'll be healed snake bite won't kill them so he did and sure enough they were protected from the snakes and though everyone who would look to the snake look to the serpent on the on the, the pole would be, would be healed. So that has to mean something more than just that. That's a weird story. But over a thousand years later, Jesus explained that that's what he was about to do. He was going to be hung on a wooden pole, on a wooden cross, and that everybody who was dying from their sins could look to him and they would find forgiveness and healing. And so that's what this one is. This is what we call the serpent on a tau cross. A tau is a T. So it's a cross shaped like a T. And it has a, the bronze serpent wrapped around it. Okay? That's what this one is. And that reminds us how Jesus takes our sin and puts it on the cross. And then there's another story where everybody was arguing about who had the right, who was the best priest, who was going to be the best person to, who was going to be the best preacher, who was going to be the best person to stand in front of everybody else and bring offerings and prayers on behalf of the people, um, which is a pretty silly thing to do because somebody who gets really, you know, kind of eaten up with their own ego, eaten up with themselves about how spiritual they are, they're not very spiritual, are they? 
So God told Moses, well, everybody had a walking stick because they were walking everywhere, right? Had to take a walking stick, take all their walking sticks, put it out in the tabernacle, put it in before me, and leave it overnight. That's kind of weird. So they did that, and they came back the next morning, and most of the walking sticks were there were just, well, walking sticks, right? They were just lying there. Except for the walking stick that belonged to Aaron, who had been the high priest so far. And Aaron's had actually started to bud and sprout and blossom. It was a dead stick, but it was doing like it was alive and growing. And so that meant that God, had, God was giving him a sign that he had picked Aaron to represent the people in his temple. And that's another promise that points us to Jesus. Jesus died on a piece of wood, a stick, right? And then he rose from the dead. And it was as if, it was almost as if that stick had, had started to sprout and bloom and borne fruit. That is, the resurrection is the sign that Jesus is the only one who was chosen by God to represent you and me before him in the heavenly temple. And so here we have a cross. If I can keep it from getting tangled. Here we have a cross. And the ends, you see the ends? They're all bulbed out like little buds, like here's a couple little leaves starting to sprout, and here's the, the bud kind of coming out in the middle. This is called the budding cross, the budding cross. And it's to remind us that Jesus is our only high priest before God, representing you and me before God. So as we sing, we're going to put on the tree the, the bronze serpent, and the budding cross. Let's see, we got, uh, I think we got to you. You got, watch out. Well, we'll have enough to go around. The deep the Father's love for us, how wise beyond all measure that he should and give we'll resume his with you own. That's it. That's you it for this time.
See, even the best light that we can, that we can bring is, always has a little hint of darkness in it. That's why we need to be forgiven and redeemed. This section is stars and stumps. Stars and stumps. There's another story from the book of Numbers. Uh, as the Hebrews were wandering across the desert to their promised land, sometimes other kings tried to stop them, and there was one king named Balak. King Balak didn't like these Hebrews, so he hired a prophet named Balaam to curse them. He was going to come and curse the Hebrews with the idea that they'd all then die or something, something horrible would happen to them. And when Balaam started to curse them, God stopped him and said, no, no, Balaam, you bless them instead. So he blessed them three times, three times. King Balak was absolutely furious. And finally, Balaam prophesied this. He said, I see him, but not now. It's coming. But I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Meaning God was going to raise up a king from Israel. Now, King Balak, when he heard that, was not happy. And I don't know, but I, I suspect prophet Balaam did not get paid. Balaam's words were fulfilled to some extent in King David and his descendants. But the prophet, you know, he had looked even further into the future to one who would be descended from David, uh, an anointed one, a Messiah, who would be reigning as king forever. And the Gospel of Matthew tells us that when he was born, there was an unusual star in the sky. It was a, a sign of who he was and what he would do. So the star always reminds us that God has promised to, that he is going to give us an all-powerful, just, and wise king. That's the five-point star. Now, originally, the star was always pictured with five points, or sometimes four points, sometimes four, or five points. Now, late in the Middle Ages, the Jewish synagogue in the city of Prague, which is in now in, in the Czech Republic, started instead to use a six-point star, which I'm all tangled, here we go. A six-point star, which was also called the Shield of David, to represent David and, and God's promise to Israel about a king to come. And soon it became the universal symbol for the Jewish people and for their hope for a kingdom and a king like David. And so this is the Star of David. See it? The Star of David which reminds us of God's commitment to his chosen people and to all the people of the world through them, that we'd all be blessed through his promises to them. Now, by the time the prophet Isaiah lived, <coughs> David had long since come and gone. Israel had had kings for hundreds of years. But it never turned, or I should, not David, um, uh, by the time Isaiah lived, well, David had come and gone. 
Come on. It never turned out like folks hoped. Most of the kings weren't very good. Mm. It was that human sin problem again, but Isaiah, looking forward, said he recognized that a shoot was going to come out of the stump of Jesse. A branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the baby goat. You see, one day that what he meant was a king's going to come from the line of David who will be a wise and a just ruler, which means he isn't going to be plagued by that usual human sin problem that we've got. He didn't bite that fruit. And he'll bring back peace and he'll bring back paradise forever. You see, whenever God's promises are fulfilled here and now, it is in turn a promissory note for something even bigger that he's planning in the future, a bigger heavenly fulfillment. So as we sing, we're going to put on the tree the five-point star, the six-point star of David, and the stump of Jesse. the lion the lion has always been considered the king of beasts and it was because it's strong and proud and confident it's the most powerful predator on earth so if you were going to picture the lord of lords and king of kings how would you how would you make a picture of it how would you explain it well the lion so when Jacob, way, way back when, when Jacob was dying, and he, he called in his 12 sons to give him his dying blessing, he, uh, he said, Judah, Judah is like a young lion. Don't rouse him. And then he went on, he said, the scepter, that's the, the king's symbol of power, 
The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. The king to come, you see, that's the lion of Judah, which is, looks like our, our emblem. Uh, if I, once I get it unhooked here, looks like this. The lion of Judah. Okay. It's the ru- rightful ruler of all nations who will receive from God the crown and the scepter. Who do you think that is? Who's going to be the king of all the nations? Jesus. God, yes. But God's going to give, it, give the power to Jesus. So later, the prophet John, in the book of Revelation, he saw visions of, of this king who'd be like a lion. And an angel declares to him, look, this is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne. He has won the victory. So here's we have the Lion of Judah, the bright morning star, the heir of David and the conqueror, and that's Jesus. But you know, the lion is also a lamb. He's like a lamb. John sees Jesus as a lamb, a a lamb of sacrifice like the Passover lamb that we just put on there, a lamb that had been killed but was alive again forever. Couldn't stay dead. And he receives power and authority, and thousands of thousands of angels serve him and worship him and fight under his command. So our lamb now is also a lamb of victory. And the victory. The victory is represented by a banner, by a flag. He's waving, he has a spear, and attached to the spear is his banner. And he's waving, the lamb has a circle, a halo around his head, so you know this is a holy figure, this is not just a lamb, this is a special lamb. And he's waving a flag of triumph because he's the triumphant lamb of victory. Also is Jesus. So there's the gospel in pictures, God's promissory notes, how humankind disobeys God, swerves from his purpose for our lives, how God condemns sin, allowing judgment sometimes to overtake us, but will not make a full end of us. And he gives us guidance, he gives us laws, and he reveals that he has standards. He wants to show us how to live. And he shows us how the sin, the problem we have in disobeying him deserves death, but because he loves us and has compassion on us, he's allowed for someone to take our place like a sacrificial lamb. And we, we saw how God sent a king and a savior from the line of David. He'd be filled with wisdom and 
power. He'd lay down his life for you and me so we can be, have forgiveness and freedom. And how the Lamb of God now is also a lion, a victorious, triumphing king of life. He's the goal and the meaning of every promise of God, now and forever. So I want to invite all the grown-ups to join as we acknowledge what we believe about Jesus. Are we good to go? Do we have our creed? This is from the Scots Confession. Are we up? Where's my creed? There we go. You can't say it with me if you don't have it there, I guess. So, we believe that God, after the fearful and horrible departure of man from his first obedience, did seek Adam again, call upon him, rebuke and convict him of his sin, and in the end made unto him a most joyful promise. This promise was repeated and made clearer from time to time. It was embraced with joy and most constantly received by all the faithful from Adam to Noah, from Noah to Abraham, from Abraham to David, and so onwards to the incarnation of Christ Jesus. All of the believing fathers under the law did see the joyful day of Christ Jesus and did rejoice. So when the fullness of time came, God sent his Son, his eternal wisdom, the substance of his own glory into the world. Amen. Let's put on the tree our last ornaments, the Lion of Judah and the Lamb of Victory. I think we got to you. Join us as we sing.
Our God is a God of promise and hope. He's a God of future. When you think you have no more future, ha, huh, what a surprise. He has not just a future, he has an entire destiny laid out before you. And even one day when you may draw your final breath and you think this is it, ha, huh, what a surprise. It's just the start of something you can't even imagine. That's always the way God does it. So as we begin our Advent season and begin accelerating toward Christmas, By the way, time, you may discover, time speeds up at certain times of the year. This is one of them. It'll be breakneck by the time Christmas gets here, and you'll wonder, where did the time go? Well, it sped up. It accelerated. But as we accelerate and through Advent toward Christmas, look for the promise and then pray for something one step bigger. And may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you now, throughout this week ahead, throughout this Advent season, through the Christmas season ahead. 
and on into the new year and on into eternity. Go in peace, go in joy, go in hope, and go with the promise. Amen.